Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising with new topics every single weekend, jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And, wow, it's kind of at a weird plateau right now. We don't get any UFC fights. We don't get any new uh, events until the new year. January 13th, I believe, is our first new card of the new year for 2024, headlined by Top 5. Top 5, uh... Light heavyweights? Yeah, light heavyweights. I was trying to think if Magum, if Johnny Walker's in the top five. I don't think he is. I think it's Magomed Ankalaev is ranked number two, and Johnny Walker's ranked number seven. But they will be main eventing the Apex card um, January 13th. So should be a fun one. You also get top 15, or top 10, actually, uh, flyweights between Matthias the Calum and El Cabe. Jim Miller's back. Top 15 women's bantamweights. Kelvin Vera, Macy Chison. Top 15 bantamweights. Ricky Simone, Mario Batista. I mean, it's a pretty loaded card. I mean, you get Andre Arlovsky on there. You Actually, there's even more women's bantamweight fights on here. Should be, a, should be a fun card to open up the year. And then our first title fight, our first pay-per-view, January 20th. We get... Um, Alexander, uh, no, out they move that to February. We get Sean Strickland versus, versus Driscus Duplessis. Should be a fun one. Should be some fun cards to open up the year. But as for this podcast in general, we will not be talking about any of those fights. Instead, we will be talking about week 16 of the NFL season, dropping my predictions for that. We're probably going to be talking some more about it this weekend when I go to uh, Chicago for Christmas. I'll talk a bit about Christmas um, checking in with some leagues, some new UFC fight news, uh, some movies and stuff. And my favorite thing, which we will end the episode with, is I'll be ranking every title fight that happened in 2023. Gonna be fun doing that. We had 21 total title fights in 2023 for the UFC. And I went through, I analyzed them all of it, took some things into account, and I ranked them all. And especially because these is freshly updated after our two title fights at UFC 2. 96, which did not really leave anything up to like, uh, didn't leave anything appetizing to us. It was pretty bland. Uh, Co-main event better than the main event, but we'll get to all of that later. Um, Starting off, I mean, new UFC news, not a lot. Not a lot has transpired since we last talked Tuesday for the 50th episode of the Surprise Jab podcast. I mean, no new fights have really been announced. I think they announced like one prelim fight on some card or something got canceled. But um, And just the MMA news or just the UFC world in general, they're having a grappling event, Fury Pro Grappling, which is under the UFC's banner. Um, and it's headlined by Aljamain Sterling, and he'll be taking on lightweight fighter Chase Hooper. So they'll be having a grappling match in 2024, I believe. That's pretty fun in Saudi Arabia. Pretty cool. I like that for Aljamain Sterling. You know, he's a known grappler in the UFC, a uh, great wrestler, and it's nice to see him spice it up, especially while he waits for a new title fight to come his way. For Leon Edwards, um, who recently defended his belt against Colby Covington, the talk has been, who he, who is he going to fight next? All right, who is he going to fight next? A lot of people are saying Bilal Muhammad should fight him because he deserves it. But other people say Bilal's not entertaining enough. They should have it be Shavkat. I personally feel it should be Shavkat Rachmanov. He's 18-0, 18 finishes, number three welterweight now in the world. And Bilal Muhammad is coming off of a win over an injured Gilbert Burns who he couldn't even finish. 
Um, Blah Muhammad's best win of his entire career is probably that Sean Brady TKO. And Sean Brady is still um, not even near the top of the welterweight chain in the UFC. So I'm not really, I don't really want to be a Blah Muhammad hater, but dude, just as a decision machine, not entertaining at all. It's, it's pretty comical how uh, not entertaining it is. Um, Tony Ferguson also announcing on Instagram that he is not going anywhere. This is the post he put out. Love my fans and supporters. You all are effing on fire. Met lots of you Saturday slash this weekend slash this week. Keep the faith, MFers, one foot in front of the other. Bitches. Remember what I said, crew. Champ. Uh, CSO. Hashtag there is no success without struggle. Hashtag not retiring casuals. Hashtag eat a fat you know what. Hashtag one ya bunch of eunuchs. Wow. I have no idea what Tony's on about. He clearly has um, uh, head trauma. He clearly has some brain damage or something. My goodness. This guy needs to retire. But I, I mean, I mentioned uh, that Jim Miller's fighting on the first card of 2023 at the Apex. I think that'd be a perfect fight at lightweight to do for UFC 300. Throw it on the prelims. One last shot for Tony. If he can't beat another veteran in Jim Miller, then I think the UFC just releases him because it's it's just getting depressing at this point. Watching him lose over and over and over. It just makes me sad. It's just, it just makes me sad seeing Tony Ferguson lose so much, but hey, that's just that's the fight game sometimes. It's a, it's a tough business. It really, really is. Um, in movie world, um, I actually did watch a movie yesterday. I watched a brand new movie. You know me. I'm a, I'm a movie connoisseur. I always like uh, to check out new films, and I was with my girlfriend, and we watched the Mario movie, the Super Mario Bros movie. Um, it was It was actually pretty good. It was actually pretty good. I give it like a 7.5 out of 10. A very good child children's movie. Very good animated movie. The graphics actually looked great for being an animated movie. So many, so many voice actors in this film. I just, I could not believe it. You had Chris Pratt as Mario. You had Charlie Day as Luigi. You had Jack Black as Bowser. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key, I think, was Toad in the film. Maybe Seth Rogen was Donkey Kong. I mean, it was it was just crazy how all the actors. I'm pretty sure that Anya Taylor-Joy was Princess Peach. I, I have no idea. But they also set it up to host, or not to host, to have a sequel to the movie, which I always like. And it was just it was just kind of fun. It was so weird that basically Mario and Luigi were sucked out of the regular, regular world. Like, they were plumbers in Brooklyn, but they were still dressed the same as they did. I don't know. It was super fun, though. Uh, good, good ending to the movie. Climax was good. Redemption arc and stuff. And it was funny at times. And I just, you know what? Good, good times. Why? Watching that movie, um, I've been watching a lot of new movies lately, so I always find uh, always find it interesting when I check out some uh, ones like these where they came out a while ago. Or actually, did they come out this year? I honestly, honestly cannot even recall. I can't even recall if that came out soon. But uh, I'll tell you what I'm excited for tomorrow, Friday, new episode of Monarch Legacy of Monsters. I believe it's episode seven. Seven out of ten will be dropping. I'm absolutely pumped absolutely pumped for that one let me tell you about that i love that show uh basically if you like the godzilla movies the cog movies uh you would definitely definitely like this show but um yeah it's it's interesting nonetheless uh but i'm debating if i should wait to watch it 
Saturday. Because Saturday, of course, me and the fam were going to Chicago, where the rest of my whole family lives. It's where both my parents are from, where they met. And we're celebrating Christmas. Christmas weekend begins this Saturday for me, lasts until Christmas Day. And of course, I come home on the 26th. Super fun. Um, going to some like giant bar arcade place Saturday night, apparently. Um, football, NFL, will be on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Excited to talk about all those games later on the pod. But uh, yeah, after that, I could see my cousins probably gonna try and do a podcast with Ryan that Saturday night get it uploaded Sunday or Monday um and Sunday I go and see my dad's parents uh go to them always nice to see them then we go to like his cousin's house with all them I have mixed opinions on that but it's always it's always fun seeing all of them and then Christmas day I'm with my uh, mom's two sisters and her dad and it's just so fun seeing my cousins doing all sorts of fun activities having drinks having food it's a blast on Christmas weekend and what sucks is that I've been waiting for this like the week has just been taken forever I mean honestly that's my two bags when I go to the gym the gym just sucks like an hour and a half to two hours out of my day and like when I'm at the gym like I'm there because I want to be and I'm bettering myself so like the time just goes by quick but just everything else I mean just I feel like sleeping I just feel like going out running chores that the day's just been dragging because I'm so excited about Christmas weekend and I just know it's gonna fly by like that and then we'll be driving back home and I'll be like dang it's like I it's like we never even went but that's what that's what makes life fun that's what makes certain events fun you always should be excited about something in life excited about tomorrow excited about today um i just find that that really helps you get through get through the week I actually ordered from Amazon a giant calendar that has all the days of the year. I'm going to start working on it when I get back to college because I don't want to start working on it now because I'll have to fold it up and bring it back. And I have no idea what wall I'm going to put it on in my apartment. I mean, I I have actually like so confused where where I can put this giant freaking calendar. But uh, I'll stick it up somewhere and force my roommate to uh, deal with it. Sorry, Seth. Um, Also, sorry for him to be a Steelers fan. Steelers have just been taking the hits I know that I overheard a conversation he was having at the gym with two of my other buddies and they're talking about trading Najee Harris or something I have no idea what's going on with all that but we're not talking about the NFL just yet we have to do our league check-in I know we just checked in with the NBA and NHL on what was it Tuesday but Nonetheless, let's check it in with our NBA teams. Of course, every single episode, we always check in and see how the league is going for all of the teams, for the NHL and NBA. So as for the NBA Celtics, still the best team, actually are currently the best team in the league. Sadly, the Timberwolves lost the other day, but uh, different conferences. So Celtics are best team in the league and in the Eastern Conference, 21-6 and and 8-2 record their last 10, still undefeated. At home, absolutely impressive stuff from the Celtics. Jason Tatum is an absolute stud. Jalen Brown doing his thing. Um, who, who else even is on the team? You know, Derek White. I mean, I just get, I get so confused with how often the NBA rotates around. And I've followed the NFL way more, especially during this time. So maybe we'll dive more into the NBA and NHL. Especially, I can, I know more about the NBA than the NHL once the NFL season's over. But as for now, we're more in uh, NFL mood than we are NBA. Bucks are second in the East, twenty and seven record, very nice, eight and two. Their last 10, 76ers, nineteen and eight. Eight, Magic 16 and 10, Knicks 16 and 11. Beautiful stuff. And the worst team 
in the NBA on a 24-game losing streak, the 2-25 and Pistons. It is hilarious. They started out 1-1 one and one and have since not won a game. That is that is impressive. That's that actually very impressive. I didn't even know teams could still do that. And the team isn't even that bad on paper. I mean, obviously, they don't really have uh, the best roster. But, I mean, I mean, let's let's look at the roster. Let's actually look at the Detroit Pistons roster. You got Jalen Duran. Okay, you know he's through uh, through fourteen games. What was his status? Fourteen games. He's averaging twelve point six points, ten point nine rebounds. Um, he's twenty years old. So yeah, it looks like he's just about a rookie. Yes, one year pro. Um, yeah, Cade Cunningham on the team. Former. Gosh, was Cade a number one pick? Was Cade the number one pick two years ago? I think I think he might have a top ten pick. Monte Morris, Killian Hayes, Jared Roden, Osir Thompson. Osir Thompson's rookie. Isaiah Livers, James Wiseman is on the Pistons. What Alec Burke, Stanley Umudu, Malcolm Calzone, Kevin Knox the second, Isaiah Stewart. Yeah, okay, I can see how this team. Joe Harris is on the team, bro. I can see how the Pistons are actually absolutely terrible. I apologize. I did not realize how bad their roster was. Wizards also near the bottom, four and twenty-two in the East. Hornets seven and nineteen, but you know Raptors, Bulls, Hawks, Nets, Pacers, all just kind of middle of the pack. Um, the divide is really gets going up with the 76ers, Bucks, and Celtics kind of at the top. Magic, Knicks, Cavs, and Heat are kind of your better, better teams right below them, and of course your middle teams. In the Western Conference, the conference I care about, my Timberwolves are 20-6. and six. We sadly did lose the other night to the 76ers, I saw. But we do play the Lakers. I don't know if it's today or tomorrow, and I did see LeBron was going to be out for that game. He's like day-to-day or just out for like the moment, which I'm okay with because no LeBron gives us a better chance to keep winning. But the Lakers aren't that hot as as you would think. They're 15-13, and 5-5 and five their last 10, 8th in the Western Conference. Good for the Timberwolves, though. They're still up three games on the Thunder. Thunder are the number two team in the West, 17-8 and eight record, 6-4 and four their last 10. Same goes for the Nuggets, 6-4 and four their last 10, but they are 19-10. and 10. Weird that they've played two more games than the Thunder. But Nikola Jokic going for another MVP. The guy is just unstoppable. Clippers in fourth, 17-10, 9-1. There is a streak where they were like on a five-game losing streak after acquiring James Harden. He's finally found his rhythm with the team. Paul George has been balling. Kawhi Leonard's been balling. Ivicky Zubak, I mean, just the Clippers have finally found their footing. Fourth seed in the West doing their thing. Kings and Mavericks, you know, they just... They're 50-50 on if they win or lose. Both teams are pretty good. 16-10 and 10 record for the Kings at the 5th spot. And the Mavericks 16-11 and 11 at the 6th spot. Both doing pretty decent. I mean, you got Luka Doncic and Chris and uh, Kyrie Irving on one team. And then you got Jaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis on another team. They're both pretty fun to watch. Pelicans 16-12 and 12 at the 7th spot. I just, uh, I, I heard that Zion Williamson, apparently they told him that Zion needs to get his diet in check. Like, they're basically telling me he's too fat, which I just find hilarious that the league is telling Zion Williamson, hey, you have been gaining too much weight. I'm going to need you to lose some of it if you're going to keep playing with the team, which is pretty comical. <laughs> pretty comical if you ask me. But uh, Pelicans 7th spot currently... Um, towards the bottom of the pack, Spurs are four and twenty-two, one and nine. Their last ten. It's been rough with Victor Wembanyama, and I don't know how much longer Greg Popovich is gonna be coaching. 
Trailblazers 7-19 at the 14th spot, and the Grizzlies up to 13 now, 7-19 as well. But John Morant came back, dropped a 30-bomb back from his suspension. You love to see it. Uh, no more flashing guns, Jaw. No more going to the strip club either, okay? You behave and ball out for the Grizzlies. Try and rebound this team. That'd be quite the story. Actually, I saw that the Rockets, who are currently the ninth seed, 13-12 and 12, uh, record, uh, Dylan Brooks was actually like kicked out of the game or something for... I don't know if he was hurting people or cursing or something, but that guy is so chaotic. I cannot with Dylan Brooks. I, I can't believe he also made a lot of money. He signed like a $40 million or like $50, $60, $70 million deal in the offseason, which is um just absolutely ridiculous. I find that I find that pretty comical. But um yeah, NBA season continues to roll along. We'll continue to we'll check in with it throughout the rest of the year. Let's uh let's take a look at those NHL standings though. Checking in with our hockey friends. I mean, all of my buddies at college are big hockey guys. They play hockey at home. They play on the club team there. They just they know all about the NHL. That's for me. I just check in with hockey on my uh, on this podcast. I also auto drafted my girlfriend. Auto drafted me a, a hockey team in fantasy football or not fantasy football on the ESPN fantasy app. So I have a fantasy hockey team, which I never freaking check. I have no idea how any of it works, but. Checking in on our divisions, Bruins appear to be the best, uh, second best team actually in the Eastern Conference, top of the Atlantic Division. They have a 19 5 and 6 record and have 44 points. Very impressive stuff for them. They are on a two game losing streak though, so sucks to be them. Rangers, top of the Metropolitan Division, 22 7 and 1 record, best record in the Eastern Conference. They have 45 points, best team. Uh, they're on a three-game win streak. Good for them. Uh, 101 goals for 82 goals against. Nice, nice. Flyers, 18-10-3 record at 39 points. They're in a little three-game win streak. I mean, just looking all throughout here, I mean, everyone's pretty similar. Uh, in the Atlantic Division, the Red Wings, 15-13-4 on a four-game losing streak. And the Senators, 11-16, only have 22 points, are on a five-game losing streak. But they aren't the worst team in the league. That honor almost goes to the Wild. Wild are, uh, actually, the Wild are up to 30 points now. How about that? I didn't even, I didn't even realize that. How about that? But uh, that goes to the Blackhawks and the Sharks, who keep flip-flopping between the worst team in the league. Currently, it's the Sharks with a 9-20-3 record on a three-game losing streak. Blackhawks, 10-20-1. They also have 21 points, but did get a win the other night. Coyotes in the Central Division have a 16-13-2 record. They're on a three-game win streak. And checking in lastly with the Pacific Division, the Oilers are on a three-game losing streak, standing at 13-15-1 on the season. I just, you know, I check in with the NHL, but I just don't know enough about it. I just don't know enough about the NHL to really dive deeply into it and talk about everything that goes on with the NHL. But Nonetheless, I, I do enjoy watching it. I enjoy sports in general. So uh, we check in every chance we can get. Keeping us moving along, something that I might be bringing into the podcast next weekend or next week for an episode is I've been reading this book before bed, which has been a very odd, odd thing that I'm doing before bed. But it's, it's basically how to catch a killer. It's been how like freaking I have no idea 30 serial killers were caught or something there's so many chapters and it's so interesting I almost want to read one of the chapters here on the podcast we've done that before with past books I've read and but it is just so dark that the things that these human beings do I just cannot there was like this ABC killer in South Africa and he like murdered and raped like 
30 women or 20 women or something, and he did it all. Apparently, he claimed he did it all because he was falsely accused by a woman, so he raped and killed a woman that looked like the girl that did it. But it was, like, proven that that wasn't really the case, and he was just sick. There have been, like, the cannibal killer. They, of course, got John Wayne Gacy in there, the BTK killer. They got, uh, I'm sure there's, I think Jeffrey Dahmer's in a later chapter. Oh, oh, my gosh. It's just, it's so dark, but it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating just hearing how these guys are caught, how they get slipped up, how police are able to do it. And it all reminds me of this show I watch called Mindhunter. It's on Netflix. Only two seasons. They canceled it. They canceled it because it was expensive to make, and apparently it wasn't making enough money. But I find it hilarious because it got great reviews on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, and the fans loved it. It, it was It's just such a good show. Only two seasons, but um, they're two just amazing, amazing seasons. I'm blessed we even got season two, if I'm being honest. Season one was so good. I'm at least happy they gave us a second season. But it did end on like a full-blown cliffhanger, but it kind of ended where you were like, yeah, the stories are not finished yet. And they were setting up like them catching the BTK killer, which uh, I don't know if they were going to make it accurate or not, because in reality, he wasn't caught till like 2005 or something. And this show takes place in like the 70s. So maybe we'll maybe we'll dapple into the serial killer realm next week. But uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to uh, we'll have to see. I've also been thinking of some ideas that we can talk about um, with future guests. I DM this one podcast I saw about how they're able to use multiple mics. Because, of course, for me, I only use one mic. I don't really know how to do everything. And they say they only use US, a USB port to their laptop. But I've tried to do that, and it never freaking works. So I have no, I have no idea how, how these guys do it. I really need to study more. And I have. I've done some research, and I just I just cannot I cannot figure it out. But We'll work that all out. This podcast is not about me being like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's about surprising topics and about sports, about UFC, about anything that I want it to be about. And up next, we are going to be dropping our Week 16 picks for the NFL season. We got a full slate of games. We got Christmas Day games, which are worth triple points in my picks league. It's going to be fun, so... Let's check out the NFL uh, Week 16 slate and drop our live predictions here on the show. Week 16 of the NFL season. I mean, this is a team up. We got some must-win games here for a lot of teams. Um, I believe only three, four um, teams have clinched a playoff spot. Cowboys and Eagles have clinched a playoff spot. 49ers have clinched a playoff spot. So three of the seven spots are filled in the NFC, and as for the AFC, only the Ravens have clinched. So AFC is wide open at the moment. we got a bunch of fun games, some Saturday, some on Sunday, some on Monday. So we get one Thursday, of course, a game tonight between the Saints and Rams. By the time most of you listen to this, that game will have already taken place, so anything I will have said will have already transpired. But Saturday, we get a game between the Bengals and Steelers, Bills and Chargers on Saturday. Every other game takes place Sunday, except for our three Christmas Day games, Raiders, Chiefs, Eagles, Giants, and Ravens and 49ers. So let's not waste any time. Let's get into it and see what's up. Kicking us off, of course, Saints and Rams. This is saucy a tricky one. This is honestly a tricky one, guys. Rams, 7-7. Seven and seven. They are coming off a big win. They are coming off of a big win last weekend. I mean... They did. Um, they, you know, they they kind of they kind of were 
blowing out the um, uh, commanders for a while. And then the commanders just scored a bunch of points to end out the game. But nonetheless, nonetheless, this Rams offense has been balling. I mean, Kyron Williams, a stud. I mean, an absolute stud. Cooper Cup finally, finally getting into a groove of things. They got Puka Nakua. I mean, you even got... Demarcus Robinson, Tutu Atwell out on the wide receiver positions. Tight ends are good. This is a pretty good team. I will say the defense could be the downfall of them. I mean, this offense has put up 327 points. Defense has given up 310 points. The plus 17 point differential is nice, but, um, you know, that's just how it goes. As for the Saints, as for the Saints, by the way, Kyrene Williams, I do have you in fantasy, but, you know, I'm not going to talk about my two fantasy leagues. I'm not in the uh, running anymore. I'll obviously mention how I finish in my six-man all-star league and in my uh, Cato boys league, but as for my 10-man $20 buy-in league, I'll mention any players I have playing, and as for the, uh, what is the other one? My random league, where I'm the number one seed, my team is not looking too hot, so I'll mention that, but anyways, that was a side note. Saints, also 7-7, seven and seven, vying for a playoff spot, and not only a playoff spot with the Rams, but they're also looking to win the NFC South. Rams cannot win the NFC uh, West. 49ers have already clinched it, but the Saints, same record as the Bucks, um, 4-3 and three at home, 3-4 and four away. It doesn't really matter where they play. They're just, they're kind of average, but the good thing for them is they're on a two-game win streak. Saints are on a two-game win streak. Big win. Big win over the Panthers in Week 14. And as for Week 15, I mean, the Saints managed to hang on against the Giants, showed some showed some strength or whatever you want to call it. Derek Carr doing his part, Alvin Kamara doing his part, the defense doing their part. This will be an interesting matchup. Saints, Rams have not been dominant at home or on the road. Um, it's it's just been pretty pretty mediocre. But um, just ju- judging off of. The games I've watched of them playing, just judging off of how I've seen them play so far this season, I'm going to pick the Rams to win tonight's game. They're at home. I do not see the forty, the Saints defensive backs really shutting down Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. And Kyron Williams is just a, just a tank. He'll He'll just run through the Saints line. And even though I've been hearing that, you know, you need to start your Rashid Shahid, your Chris Olaves, your um, Juwan Johnson, you need to start these... Saints wide receivers I just I just the Saints are just so hit or miss you know the Saints could win tonight Saints could lose tonight but if we're going off of how home teams have been performing on uh, Thursday night football I mean last weekend Raiders were at home and won week uh week two oh the Steelers were at home and lost but that's the Steelers that's the Steelers week 13 Cowboys were at home and won week 12 Lions were at home and lost huh week 11 okay so wait have we gone Week 13, Cowboys at home. Week 14, lost. Week 15, Rams. Has the, I may have discovered a pattern here, boys. I may have discovered, and girls. Girls listen to this too, hopefully. I may have discovered a pattern. Now, week 10 and 11, home teams won. Week 9, a home team won. Week 8, the home team lost. Okay, there's been a pattern since week, what has it been, 11? Since week 11, uh... Home teams have flip-flopped between winning and losing. So week 11 was Ravens won at home. Then, yes, Lions lost. Cowboys won. Steelers lost. Raiders won. So, hmm, hmm, that's an interesting fact. That's actually an interesting fact that I'm actually, I don't know. Do I want to switch my pick? What happened, guys? This is why I'm a little hesitant to switch my pick. Because last weekend, I was picking the Raiders, and I switched last second to the Chargers for no 
particular reason at all, and it ended up not paying off. So, kind of debating what to do, what to do here. Um, you know what? I was gonna pick the Rams originally. It's usually when I switch my picks. You know, I'm either gonna, I'm either gonna be mad I didn't follow this pattern, or I'm gonna be mad I didn't trust my intuition. So, it's a lose lose. So we'll just stick with the Rams for this game. And if if it all falls through. Buccaneers could win this week. They could win the NFC South and the Rams still in the still in the wild card hunt. I mean, there are one, two, three, four, five. There's five, seven, and seven teams. Five, seven, and seven teams. Now, of those, Buccaneers and Saints, one of those teams is gonna win the NFC South, which we'll find figure out in the coming days, but Kind of leaves the Vikings, Rams, and Seahawks all battling for those wild card spots. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, we'll be riding with the Rams. I don't think I'm playing any Saints players or Rams players. I think I should be good in my two leagues. By the way, in the one in my one twenty man league, I have a seventy six point lead since it's a two week thing. Oh, I'm playing Puka Nakua. Okay, so we do not want Puka Nakua to do well tonight. And the Rams defense. I am playing against. Wow, I really feel like I should pick the Saints now. That's, oh, man, just the outside factors. I find this fascinating is that I make my predictions live on air so you actually hear my internal thoughts just being vocalized about what what choices I'm going to make. So, I mean, now I've found a pattern. I've found a pattern. Uh, I'm playing against the Rams defense and against Puka Nakua. Gosh, I I don't know, boys. I don't know. I might actually go to this. Go with the Saints. I might actually go with the Saints. You know what? I'm gonna visit an outside source, and I'll be right back. All right. After visiting an outside source and just thinking over, I'm going to keep the Rams pick. I can't believe I'm thinking this much about a Thursday night football game, and it's probably not even gonna be correct. But the uh, Saints head coach is actually two and seven on short notice games. Now those short notice games could either be uh, so they're probably all Thursday night football if I'm thinking about it, unless you played on like a awkward Monday night game and then played Saturday, I don't know, or Sunday. I don't know if that's how you want to view it, but also Derek Carr is 35 and uh, 57, 35 wins, 57 losses in his career when he's playing defenses that allow less than 21 points per game and the uh, Rams do. So we're going to keep the Rams pick and I looked way too much into it. Kicking off our Saturday slate, we have the Bengals visiting the Steelers. A crucial one. A crucial one in the AFC North. Bengals are 8-6. and six. Three game win streak. Jake Browning has been an absolute stud. I've been absolutely loving everything he's been producing, except when it's against the Vikings. I can't even hate the guy, though. He, we drafted him. You know, we drafted him. We dropped him. You can blame Mike Zimmer for that. And as for the Steelers, the exact opposite. Three game losing streak. The season has basically been lost you know this team has completely fallen apart and but the thing is they're not out of the playoff race they're not out of the playoff race but the playoff race in the AFC is heating up quite a bit oddly enough Dolphins need to win this weekend to clinch a playoff spot um as uh they actually have not clinched a playoff spot even uh the Bills still on their tail. You got the Broncos with a seven and seven record. You also have the Colts, Texans, and Jaguars all eight and six. Only one of them can win the AFC South. So Steelers need a lot of scenarios to get stuff done. I actually dropped George Pickens in one of my leagues. The league that I'm not in the playoffs or anymore in, but or that got eliminated in, but it's just been a rough going for the Steelers. I'm actually best friends with the Steelers fans, so sorry to him. Their defense, uh, giving up 280 points, not too bad. Offense only put up 223, though, which gives us a minus 57-point differential, which is not going to cut it. Bengals still have a minus 4-point differential, but 
they've been in a lot of close games. I'm going to be needing some big things, some absolutely big things from, uh, let me see, where is it? Um, I was trying to determine who it was. It was I think it's Joe Mixon. I'm starting, yes, Joe Mixon I have in on Saturday. He's the only player. I have in on Saturday. Wow. Am I playing any players on Saturday? Um, I don't think so. Actually, that's pretty that's pretty interesting. I'm pretty sure I'm facing every oh I play Pat Farmouth. Okay, so that gives me another reason why I'm going to be predicting that the Bengals win this game. Now I have been seeing that the um Steelers have good cornerbacks, but I just think the Steelers' offense is so bad, and plus they have Mason Rudolph starting, so it's like, okay, you got bad white boy Kenny Pickett, even worse white boy Mike Mitchell Trubinsky, and now you're all the way at the bottom with Mason frickin' Rudolph, whose brains have still been scrambled since Miles Garrett tried to kill him, but um, Steelers have just been atrocious, just been atrocious, I mean, at... At home, at home, you know, you're supposed to be better at home. Steelers are 4-4. Four and four. They've split the whole year. They've split the whole year. They've also split away, so there's been no pattern, really. But um, these teams did play. Didn't they play? They did play earlier. They played in week number, what was it? This is week 16, 15, 14, 13, 12. They played in week 12, and the Steelers actually won. Steelers actually won that game, so this is actually pretty interesting stats here. Uh, Kenny Pickett actually threw for 278 yards, no turnovers. Najee punched in a touchdown. Pat Farmuth went off in that game. Uh, so Bengals' Jake Browning struggled. Joe Mixon could not get anything going. Um, but at the same time, I just do not see. I just do not see this repeating. I think both teams have gone their own separate ways of performing well. And it's, um, I think it's just leaning towards a Bengals win. And plus, splitting has just been the key this whole, this whole year. Excuse me, in the NFL, is that teams have been splitting wins and losses with their divisional rivals. So we'll be going with the Bengals, and I'll be rooting for the Bengals. Joe Mixon, you go off. Pat Fryermuth, don't get hurt. You know, I do, I do kind of like you as a tight end. Pat Fryermuth, don't get hurt, but maybe I don't know. Maybe get. In, I have no. I'm not gonna say. Anything. I'm not gonna wish bad on anyone. Rounding out our, uh, oh no, not rounding out our Saturday games, or is it rounding out? Oh yeah, we only get two, so yeah, rounding out our Saturday games, I forgot. Uh, the Bills will be visiting the Chargers, and there's just, uh, I can tell you, I locked in this pick quicker than you could snap your fingers like that. I mean, Bills, 8-6, and six, two-game win streak. Their season, you know, they've lost six games, but this is a good 8-6 and six team. They have a plus 125-point differential, 379 points put up, 254 points allowed. I mean, Josh Allen, a stud. Um... Gosh, James Cook coming off a 36-point fantasy performance. Are you kidding me? He got Stephon Diggs. He got Gabe Davis. I mean, this the wide receivers are amazing. Love the defense on what they produce as well. I mean, this Bills team will make the playoffs. All right, it's a there's a crazy scenario where the Bills could just lose one game out of their final three games and miss the playoffs to like the Texans or the Colts, which I find hilarious because I think this Bills team is a team you should fear in the playoffs in January. I just feel that they know what they can do and they just blew out the the Cowboys. The Cowboys. They just blew out the Cowboys, which is certainly certainly not something you would expect, but man, season's been crazy and the Bills have just been performing to the level that they uh, have been able to. As for the Chargers, I mean, this team sucks. This team is brutal. Uh, after getting blown out 63-21, to they now have a minus 42-point differential. 2-5 and five at home, by the way. Atrocious. 2-5 and five at home. They're on a two-game losing streak. I mean, I'm pretty sure Easton Stick is starting again. 
Uh, Keenan Allen, it looks like, is going to be out for this game. I have, I have no idea what to say. This defense is bad. Defense is bad, and the offense was decent with Herbert, but just couldn't win games. Easy lock for the Bills for me. Close one up next to kick off our Sunday slate. Colts play the Falcons. All right, this one. This one's going to be a battle. Okay, Colts and Falcons. We get a little AFC, NFC action here. We'll start with the Colts. We'll start with the Colts. Okay, Colts are currently second in the AFC South. Are currently in the playoffs. I think they're the sixth or seventh seed, as we mentioned last time on the pod. Eight and six record. They have a plus one point differential. But the weird thing is, this is a weird stat, and this is why I actually favor them over the Falcons. This is why I'm predicting the Colts to win this before I even mention the Falcons. Colts are 5-2 and two on the road, 3-4 and four at home. So they've done better at away team stadiums than they have at home. I find that pretty interesting. Crucial win for the Colts as the AFC South is suddenly up for grabs after the Jaguars have dropped three straight. Colts and Texas have found a way to win games. I mean, this is this is fun. This is a fun matchup, and I'm I'm excited to see the Colts perform. I think I got the Colts D. Yes, I do have the Colts D in one of my leagues. Um, I just enjoy. I just enjoy this Colts defense. I enjoy watching Gardner do his thing. Michael Pittman's having an amazing year, and even though I didn't take him in fantasy this year just because he didn't do well last year, but that was because of Matt Ryan, um, I still root for the guy because I, I just can't help but like, I like Michael Pittman. I like what Michael Pittman produces as a wide receiver. Let's talk about the Falcons, though. Let's, let's not glaze the Colts. Obviously, I already mentioned we're picking them, but the Falcons are not out of the playoff race yet. They're a game behind Saints and Bucks. Not going to win tiebreakers with them. Uh, minus 20-point differential. 2-5 and five on the road. 4-3 and three at home. It's been, a, it's been a rough season. Two-game losing streak. Just lost to the Panthers. There's no coming back from that. There's absolutely no coming back from losing to the Panthers. But, um... You know, Desmond Ritter, he has showed some prowess this season. When they give B. John Robinson the ball, he works with it. Drake London's had some moments. Kyle Pitts continues to disappoint. There's just there's nothing with this Falcons team that makes me want to pick them. Picking picking the Colts without a doubt in my one league. I just I doubt I'm playing any Falcons or Colts players, right? There's just there's no way. There's no way I'm playing a Falcons or Colts player. I just yeah, 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 yeah. Not nothing, nothing of that regard. Moving along, we have the Browns facing the Texans, visiting the Texans, I should say. This one is, this one's making me think, okay, guys? This is making me think, because the Browns and Texans have just been in some close, close games, and as we'll, as, we'll, as we'll see from their matchup, I assume, this could be a defensive battle. Without a doubt, this will be a defensive battle. Um, Browns, currently the best wildcard team, I'm pretty sure, in the AFC, debatably in the league with the Cowboys or Eagles, whoever wins that division. But Browns are 9-5, 7-1 at home, 2-4 uh, on the away, though. So that I do I do find that fascinating, you know, winning on the road, winning at home. Browns are away. Could be interesting. Um, but the 9-5 record on a little two-game win streak, that Bears win. Joe Flacco has just lit a fire under this team, and they were down by 10 with just like 7.5 minutes left. They're able to rally, win the game. Defense came up big, but I will say... I will say on that Hail Mary attempt, Darnell Mooney dropped that pass and basically it popped up off his chest. So you can't really claim that as good defense, especially on a Hail Mary. But you know what? Browns plus 20 point differential yet to give up 300 points. Um, and a 7-1 home record is outstanding, but they are on the road. They are on the road. I do find that fascinating. Uh, the Texans, 8-6. and six. Now they are third in the AFC South. 
but they're the, the AFC South is all eight and six. It's so it's it's up for grabs. Plus eleven point differential, five and two at home. They've been good at home, coming off a big win over the Titans, a battle, a battle against the Titans. It was a grit and grind to win that game, um, but the Texans' defense came up big. Case Keenum looks like he's starting again, so I do find that is a fascinating statistic. Um, Devin Singletary still being a stud. I might bench him this week just because it doesn't even matter if he plays in my league. I should, if I would have had him in, I would have advanced in one of my other leagues. But you know what? You win some, you lose some. Texans, I like what you've been producing. I really like what the Texans have been producing. And looking at the home and away records... Looking at the defenses and stuff, I just think this Texans team would beat the Bears. And if the Browns almost lose to the Bears, um, you know, at home, I mean, I'm going with the Texans, guys. I'm going with the Texans. And I always like to mix it up when I pick home teams and away teams. And right now, through the first six games of Week 16, I have one, I have two, I have two home teams winning, I believe. I have two home teams winning. And three away teams winning. So we're gonna we're gonna quiet that split with our next pick, but we're going the Texans over the Browns. And I like that pick. I gotta spice it up. And uh I feel like I'd be more happy watching the Texans beat the Browns than watching the Browns beat the Texans. Next one up. Next one up. Okay. This is where we get emotional. This is where the bit of the fire comes out of us. But um by the way, crucial game, crucial game in that uh, Texans-Browns for playoff position and just for making the playoffs, so that'll be a fun one to watch. But as we head to the NFC North, my favorite division, of course, loyal Minnesota Vikings fan. Vikings, 7-7. Seven and seven. We do have a plus-21 point differential. We've been better on the road than at home, so that kind of sucks. We're coming off of the just a tough loss to the Bengals. I mean, we, we played so good in that game just to fall apart late. Uh, we'll be playing the 10-4 and four Lions. 10-4 and four Lions plus 51-point differential. Perfect 5-2 and two at home and on the road. Coming off of a big, big win. Big win for the Lions last weekend. I mean, they were on a little, what were they on? A little win-loss, win-loss. And Lions now bringing some momentum into this matchup. You know, they they blew up the Broncos. Broncos had nothing to offer them. And, you know, as for the as for Vikings, we'll be riding with Nick Mullins again. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that I'm just going to tell you. Is that the NFC North has been splitting games. It's been splitting games this, uh, this whole year. The 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 uh, what am I trying to say? The Lions split with the um, they split with the Packers. I did, and then they split with the Packers. Yeah, they split with the Packers, and they split with the Bears. Okay, and the Vikings. We split with the Bears. Um, maybe we'll split with the Packers, but we're yet to play the Lions. This is one of the latest times we've played the Lions in a season. Um, we're at home. I, I honestly like our odds better on the road, but um, honestly, I'm a loyal Vikings fan. I'm picking the Vikings. I'm rooting for Justin Jefferson. I'm rooting for Jordan Addison. Um, I don't know what more to say, guys. I don't know what more to say. You know, obviously, it's going to be a battle. It's it's going to be a tough, tough game for the Vikings, but, you know, what, what time does this game actually kick off at on Sunday? Kicks off at 12, so I'll probably be at my grandparents' house, so I'll be in in their uh, TV room just watching watching it on their old TV, but yeah, Vikings, it's been an interesting season, you know, I still, I'm still the type of guy that goes, hey, you know, 7-7 seven and seven record, we sneak into the playoffs, pull off some upsets, you can make a, you can make a documentary about this uh, season for our team. I don't know if this is a movie type season for the Vikings, but um, 
I'm just I'm just not gonna pick, especially against someone like the Lions, Packers, or Bears. I'm just not gonna pick against the Vikings. And I know my mom is someone I know. Sometimes uh, one of my other buddies, where they will pick against the team they want to win. So that's like a, a win-win. Your team lost, so you get the pick wrong or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But as for me, I have to ride with my Minnesota Vikings. Let's go, Nick Mullins. Come on, man. Run the ball at Chandler. Throw it to JJ. I don't know. We'll find a way to beat those stinking Detroit Lions. Moving on from the NFC North to the NFC versus AFC matchups that we have on schedule, we have the Commanders taking on the Jets, and you just could not predict just two teams who are just so equally bad that just they're they're terrible to watch. Jets will be visiting the uh, or no, the Commanders are actually visiting the Jets. How about that, Commanders? Um, this actually works out better for the Commanders. Commanders four and ten. Four and ten record, five game losing streak. So there's a point. They were four and five, and they're yet to win since that point. The worst defense in the league. It's outstanding how bad their defense is. Four hundred twenty-three points points allowed. That is no one's. No one else has allowed four hundred points. No one else has allowed four hundred points. The the Cardinals have allowed three seventy-six. Um, Eagles have allowed three forty-one. If we go with the AFC. Broncos have allowed 351. No, just no one is no one's defense is even close to this. No one is even close to being as bad as the commanders have been. One and five record at home, three and five record on the road. I mean, it's Sam Howell has looked good. Sam Howell, I think, is the QB they're gonna ride with next year, but you know, Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson, they're just too unpredictable. Terry McLaurin can only survive as much as Sam Howell can produce. And when you have a terrible defense assist, there's just nothing you're going to do. As for the Jets, I mean, don't get much better here. Three and five at home, two and four away. I mean, coming off of a blowout loss to the Dolphins, didn't even score. They didn't even score. Not scoring. Pushed their uh, point differential up to minus 86. Oh, five and nine record, third in the AFC, season's over. Uh, Robert Sala, head coach, just announced Aaron Rodgers will not be playing this season. Thank goodness, Aaron. Thank goodness, um... I'll let, you, I'll let you have no idea who's even playing QB. All right, maybe it'll be. Um, actually, actually, let's look up. Uh, let's look up who's playing QB. QB for uh, the Jets. Because um, I have no idea if I think Zach Wilson got hurt or something. Um, Zach Wilson's questionable. Why is he questionable? Uh, with a concussion, of course, he got a concussion. So, looks like Trevor Simeon will be starting, a career backup. He had 110 yards, two interceptions, and a fumble in that Miami loss when he came in. So, the only good thing for this Jets team is the commander's um, offense is just atrocious. But, I don't know. I don't know, honestly, because... You know, this Commanders team hasn't won in five games. You know, the Jets have at least gotten wins in their last five games. Um, Jets are 3-5 and five at home. Commanders 3-5 and five away. Mm, this is this is interesting. Let me just look at how badly they've been losing. Uh, lost by 30 to the Dolphins, 8 to the Rams, 35 to the Cowboys. They lost by 12 to the Giants. Three to the Seahawks. Three, oh, they beat the Patriots. The last one was the Patriots. Who have they beaten this season? Commanders have beaten the, they got swept by the Giants. How about that? They beat the Falcons, Patriots. They beat, they beat, who have they beaten? They beat the Broncos earlier on. They beat the Ravens. Wow, they beat 
no, that that cannot be true. That's not true. Oh, we're in preseason. I was about to say that's not true. That's absolutely not true. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Jets. I cannot pick this Commanders team, even if they pull off an upset. I just I can I just cannot do it. I can't do it. They're just so bad. They're so bad. And they have the same record for home and away. You know, so we'll pick we'll pick the Jets for that game. Moving on, Seahawks visit the Titans, and this is. I locked in this pick as soon as possible because Taiji Spears did absolutely nothing. I'm picking the Seahawks over the freaking Titans. I mean, this is this is one of those games where I'm just I'm locked in. First off, first off, I'm playing Derrick Henry, so I do not need Derrick Henry to go off at all. That's just not something that we're going to be wanting to happen. And I'll tell you what I do want to happen. I don't, I don't think I actually have someone. In this game, I think I thought I had someone in this game, but I did not. Um, I actually play the Commanders' defense, so another reason to pick the Jets. How about that? And I play Nick Folk, right? Tennessee kicker, but Titans coming off a tough loss to the Texans, and I mean it was it was very very tough for the Titans, but um, good for them. They're four and three at home. Um, terrible on the road. Oh, on the road, I don't think I'll pick them for a road game. But uh, they have given up 301 points. Only scored 257. Bottom of the pack team, five and nine record. Gonna gonna be getting a top 10 pick most likely. So there you go. Maybe even top five at the rate they're going at. But um, yeah, Titans. If you're barely beating the, barely losing to the Texans, I mean, they've just lost some. They've just lost some heartbreakers. Will Levis might be out, which doesn't help their case because Ryan Tannehill, I do not ride with. And I plus think the Seahawks defensive line can hold the uh, Derrick Henrys, the Taji Spears in check. But as for the Seahawks, um, snapped a three or four game losing streak. Um, Seahawks are now seven and seven, third in the NFC West, coming off of a huge upset, huge upset of um, this Eagles. I mean, I have no idea how they won that game. Minus 35 point differential for them. They are five and two at home, but two and five on the road, so I don't really like that road record, but I just cannot pick this Titans team anymore. Rest of the year, not picking the Titans, um, and I play Titans players, so we'll be riding with the Seahawks for this game. Packers play the Panthers, and this one's tricky. This one is tricky to me, guys, because I have said multiple times on the podcast that I will never pick the Packers. I've said that many a times. I just I don't like picking the Packers. They're my rival. How can I how would I how can I pick a rival? But you know, this this Panthers team is just so bad. Now I will say they're at home. I will say it does help them they're at home. Packers are two and five on the road. They are on a little two game skid, losing their playoff hopes day by day by day. They need so many scenarios to make the playoffs with the six and eight record. Only a minus one point differential. I mean three hundred points for, three hundred more points against, but a pretty even team. Jordan Love uh, doing pretty good. Aaron Jones was back this past weekend. And the wide receiver crew, I mean, Wicks, Reed, um, Watson, pretty good. Pretty good. Luke Musgrave been looking good. Packers team is not too shabby. As for the Panthers, 2-12 and record, worst team in the NFL. They have a minus 142-point differential, 0-8 on the road. 2-4, and though, at home. You know, it's promising. It's promising. Chubba Hubbard will probably have a good game. But there's just... I, I don't know. There's just no there's just no way I can pick the Panthers, is there? There's just no way. No one saw them beating the Falcons. And I just you know, I hate to pick the Packers. I really do, but um how have the Packers done? They've lost to the Giants, lost to the Bucks, they beat the Chiefs at home. They've lost on the they've won on the road. They've lost on the road. They've just had an average year. 
that's all they've had. Not much more to say. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm. I have no idea. There's just. I think I have Chubba Hubbard starting a league, or maybe I, I played Chubba Hubbard actually. Um, I just gotta pick the Packers. You know what? We're just gonna get over it. I, I cannot pick the Panthers. The Panthers team is terrible. Season's over. They fired their head coach in his first year after ten games. Um, yeah, we'll pick the Packers. Not even gonna. Not even gonna touch on it. Moving on, as is, Jaguars will be visiting the Buccaneers. This one is Battle of Florida. Interesting one, Jacksonville versus Tampa Bay. I have no idea how this one's going to go. Buccaneers. Actually, we'll start with the Jaguars. I'm in the AFC. Jaguars, 8-6 and six record, have lost three straight games. Absolutely crazy for the Jaguars. Um, Still have a plus-six point differential. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has been dealing with some injuries. Travis Etienne has not been performing the same as he did early in the season. But, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley, uh, Evan Ingram, the Christian Kirk, they got the tools. They got the tools on this team. And I just think they just need to use them. I really just think they need to use them. Now, I will say, the Jaguars being on the road and having a 5-1 and one road record for the year, that is very appetizing if you're me looking to decide on who to pick. And as for the Buccaneers, you know, this would be a prime spot where you would pick the Buccaneers to win. Buccaneers on a three-game win streak, seven and seven, atop the NFC South. Um, but they have been three and three at home, four and four on the road. They've just been in middle of the pack team, you know, plus plus a six-point differential. And it's weird to think that the Buccaneers or Saints are going to make the playoffs. That's just a weird thought. Even the Falcons can make it. One of those three teams is going to make the playoffs. And honestly, when I look at it, it kind of makes sense. You know, Cowboys, Eagles, 49ers, Lions. Those are four teams that deserve to make the playoffs. Those are four teams that deserve to make the playoffs. Other teams, it's it's tough to say if they deserve it. But nonetheless, it's not about deserving. It's about who's going to earn it. And I think that you know this Buccaneers team will offer some challenges. Baker Mayfield has been performing amazing. Uh, Mike Evans, um, Godwin, uh, Rashad White. They've just been even even Otto, the freaking tight end. They've all been all been performing well. But you know what? I've ridden with this Jaguars team. What have I ridden with them with? Um, did I pick them last week? No, I did not pick them last weekend. But in week fourteen, I think I picked them. I think I picked them in week fourteen. Who who did they play? In week fourteen, the Jaguars played the Browns, and I picked the Jaguars. You know what? I'm riding with the Jaguars in this one. They have only lost one road game this whole year. Who is that? Who is that road game to, actually? That, that's, that should be an interesting thing I could, should look at because it hasn't mattered where they're playing. The Buccaneers have one loss, one win-loss, win-loss every every single time. So, But um, Jaguars lost. Their only road loss has been to the Browns, which was December 10th, lost by four points how about that i actually find that really interesting um they've beaten the colts on the road they've beaten the bills on the road saints on the road jaguars on the road texans on the road wow yeah we're riding with the jaguars in this one um plus the climate isn't any different they're both in florida so jaguars over bucks doesn't feel like an upset but maybe it is actually am i playing a players I don't, I don't think, I play Godwin. Okay, wow, so all my picks are aligning. Uh, Cowboys and Dolphins is our, or no, we have one more before that epic matchup. Uh, Cardinals visit the Bears, and I don't think I've picked the Bears all season. I don't think I've picked the Bears all season, honestly. it's It's been, for having a family of Bears fans, It's it's been odd for them. Justin Fields, I legit think they need to drop him. 
I think you need to trade him. I do not think Justin Fields, they should ride with him another freaking year. But DJ Moore is good. This defense is good. Um, they're just out there a lot. But um, Bears coming off of a close loss to the Browns. Before that, they'd uh, beaten the Vikings, I believe. Or no, they'd beaten the Lions. Wow, they beat the Vikings and Lions in back-to-back weeks. Bears are 5-9, going to finish middle of the pack. Are going to get the number one pick, though, thanks to their trade with the Panthers. So that's, that's pretty nice. Um, minus, ooh, what is their point differential, actually? They have a minus 42 point differential. Pretty gross, 3-3 three and three at home, 2-5 and five on the road for their, uh, so they'll be hosting the Cardinals. I kind of like that. Um, as for the Cardinals, 3-11, and 11, worse than the Bears, second-to-worst team in the league. Actually, they are better than the Patriots, so third-worst team in the league. Um, they do have a minus 117-point differential. Huh, that is really bad. Um, 2-5 and five at home, 1-6 on the road. You know what? I'll be with my family when this game's on, probably. Actually, what time is it on? What time does this game start? 3-25. I might not be, but when it's over, I'll probably be going home to the Benecki's house. Those are my cousin's last name. And uh, I'll be talking with Ryan about how the Bears won. So we're going with Bears over Cardinals. I like their defense against the Cardinals. Although the Cardinals did kind of sauce up the 49ers defense. I won't lie. Uh, Cowboys, take, are you, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I just realized that the Sunday night football game is the Patriots and Broncos. They couldn't swap with the Cowboys and Dolphins. Wow. Cowboys and Dolphins round out our 3.30 slate on Christmas Eve. Cowboys will be going into Miami for this matchup. Cowboys, I mean, Dak Prescott, you let me down. You let me down tremendously, man. You really did. I was counting on you to beat my dad in the our six-man All-Star League, and you, you did not come through. But Cowboys, best team in the NFC East, oddly. They, uh, they're ahead of the Eagles at the moment, but they both have a record of 10-4. and four. Cowboys are a perfect 7-0 and oh at home, but are an awkward 3-4 and four on the road. That is a interesting stat. Coming off of a loss to the Bills where they could just not get anything going, and looking at their four losses, by the way, they've all been on the road. All right, the Bills loss, pretty awkward. Pretty awkward right there. Lost to the Eagles, so they've split with the Eagles, you know. Got blown out by the 49ers on the road, and they lost to the Cardinals on the road. So it has been an interesting season for the Cowboys. They've had some ups. They've had some downs. But, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, as good as this defense has been, this defense has been amazing. Only 264 points allowed, put up 431. Um, Tony Pollard's been good. The defense has pretty much been the story of it, especially Deron Bland. But, um, you know, I think as good as this defense is, you know, they play the Dolphins with the number one offense in the league, 441 points for. The Miami uh, defense, by the way, has just been scorching lesser teams. 10-4, and four, I think they're going to clinch the AFC East. You know, and they're six and one at home, four and three on the road. That's six and one at home. I mean, their only loss at home for the Dolphins was to the Titans. Yes, they got upset by the Titans last minute. Um, gosh, you know, I I have do I have Tyreek Hill in? No, I don't have any. I don't have him anymore. But I just I don't even think I have any Dolphins players. I have Raheem Mostert. I have Raheem Mostert, and I play. Do I play anyone? I play one. It doesn't even matter. I'm done. I'm done even looking at that. Okay, because guess what? Guess what? I'm not a Cowboys hater, 
But I'm picking the Dolphins in this game. I'm picking the Dolphins in this game. I think that their offense will shred the Cowboys defense. They're on the road. I just I just think that's what's going to happen. I honestly, I honestly truly do. I think the Cowboys might be a bit rattled from that Bills loss. Um, a change of temperature might mess them up a bit. Who knows? Maybe they'll light a fire under them. I can't say, but I will be picking the Dolphins to win that game. Let's get into our final our final Sunday, our Christmas Eve game. So I have to go to bed waiting for Santa Claus to come, and the last game in my head will be the Patriots visiting the Broncos. I have no words for that. I have absolutely no words for that. Um, so I have to talk about this game. You know what? I'll, I'll, let me talk about it for the Broncos. Say Broncos, obviously coming off a tough loss to the Lions, but they're seven and seven, second in the AFC West. Playoffs are uh, still possible for this team somehow. Four and three at home, three and four on the road. Uh, minus like forty something, forty six, forty five point differential hasn't been pretty, but um. They've been working with what they can. The real story is that the Patriots suck. The Patriots are so, so bad. Um, Bill Belichick is getting released. They're just blaming him because they have no one else to blame. The, the defense, 299 points allowed is not too bad. Not too bad, honestly. Looking at other teams, all right? But 186 points put up? Are you kidding me? That will not cut in the professional football league. This is the worst offense in the league this season, they've been absolutely terrible. Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi cannot do anything. The running back game, just nothing can be accomplished. Patriots suck. One in seven at home. That is incredible. That's incredible. Imagine for a season ticket holder. All right. With the minus 113 point differential, there's just no shot. I'm picking the Broncos with this one. I'm pretty sure I had that penciled in a week before I even made my predictions. It's, it is just, oh, just ridiculous. Let's talk about our uh, Christmas Day games, all right, to round us out. A little cheerful, a little cheerful Christmas Day games, all right. I actually already have two of the picks ready. First game of the day going down at 12 o'clock. We have the Raiders visiting the Chiefs, and this is a rematch, of course. Of course, if no one knows, earlier on in the season, Chiefs beat the Raiders 31-17. to at home. That was a close matchup, though. Raiders did not go down as easy, but the Chiefs did pick up a big win over the Patriots this past week. They are 4-3 uh, and three at home, 5-2 and two on the road. They do boast a very nice 74-point differential. Travis Kelsey is nice. I'm sure Taylor Swift might even make a little appearance. Um, Rasheed Rice has become the absolute stud of this team. Jarek McKinnon, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and Isaiah Pacheco is actually a pretty solid running back room. Um, I like. I pretty much like a majority of this team. Kadarius Tony needs to be cut. I will say that Kadarius Tony does need to be cut. Um, but Patrick Williams is still a dog. Um, this Raiders team, I know they just put up 63 points. I know their defense has been doing good, but it doesn't help the fact they still have a minus 115 uh, but I'm sorry, not minus 100, minus 15 point differential. Uh, thanks to their 63 point win, it boosted them up. Their offense had previously only been at 200, so I mean this offense hadn't been producing that much. They're one in five on the road. I mean the only thing the Raiders could potentially have going for them is that it's a divisional game and divisional games usually split. But this should be an easy Chiefs pick for me. We'll see what happens. 3.30 game, Giants visit the Eagles, and yeah, Eagles, you really got to do something. You really got to do something. I have no idea what has happened. Uh, both teams in the NFC East, Eagles going to make the playoffs, 10-4 record, but are now second, second in the NFC East, uh, third team, honestly, honestly, are we putting the, yeah, I think, oh my gosh, they might be lower than the Lions. They could be the third or fourth best team now in the NFC. Three-game losing streak. 
Um, now I won't lie. Uh, the Seahawks loss was pretty, pretty awkward, but Hey, that happens sometimes. The defense has just put, given up too many points. This is not a good Eagles defense. Not like last year, uh, 341 points allowed. They have put up 359 though for the plus 18 point differential. They got all the tools, you know, I'll be rooting for Devonte Smith and Jalen hurts. Just don't pass to AJ Brown. I do play AJ Brown. So don't pass to him. Who and as for the Giants, you know, five and nine, they're kind of like the Bears, but honestly, their offense is worse. One of the worst offenses in the league, only 189 points put up, 338 points given up, two and six on the road, coming off a loss. This is an Eagles pick for me. And with that Eagles win, hopefully Jalen Hurts balling out, not passing to A.J. Brown. Um, We'll round out all of our games with, oh, just such a beauty, such a beauty. To end Christmas night, to end my time in Chicago, I will watch the Baltimore Ravens visit the San Francisco 49ers, the two best teams in the league, the best team from the NFC versus the best team in the AFC. You, you just can't make this stuff up. It's absolutely incredible. I will need big things from Christian McCaffrey. I will not need big things from Lamar Jackson. I will not need big things from George Kittle. I will need big things from Isaiah Likely. This matchup's just beautiful. 49ers, 11-3, best team in the NFC. 425 points put up. 234 allowed. They have a plus 191 point differential. If they win by plus 9, it'll be up to plus 200. Now, 49ers, 5-1 at home. All right, that's a very good record, especially when you're hosting this Ravens team. They're on a six-game win streak. Absolutely incredible. Brock Purdy has done very stellar, above stellar. He's been doing excellent um, just, this is a, this is just a 49ers team that knows what it wants and has just found its groove and they have just been unstoppable. As for the Ravens, best team in the AFC, all right, 11-3 and record, 384 points put up, only 225 points allowed, the best defense in the league. They are 6-1 on the road, four-game heater, plus 160, or plus 159 point differential. Gosh, this is such a close matchup. And it's it's tough to choose. It's really tough to choose. I just, I, I don't know who I want to root for. You know, Ravens have excellent, excellent line. You know, freaking defensive line of the 49ers is good too. I don't know. I don't know. This is, game is probably gonna, what's come down to a lot of it. Is what's going to come down for a lot of people in their leagues. But um, let me look at my home and away picks. All right, so far. So, and this will also be me recapping all my picks. Rams over Saints, we got a home team. Bengals over Steelers, away team. Bills over Chargers, away team. Colts over Falcons, away team. Texans over Browns, home team. Vikings over Lions, home team. Jets over Commanders, home team. Seahawks over Titans, away. Packers over Panthers, away. Jaguars, away. We're now up to six away picks. Bears home makes five. Dolphins over Cowboys, that makes it six and six now. Broncos at home win, seven to six. Chiefs over Raiders, 8-6. and six. Eagles over Giants, okay. I don't know if we're going to end perfectly. All right, right now, looking at my picks, I have 9-6. to six. All right, so I have to say we make this 9-7. to seven. All right, I love this 49ers team. But, uh, oh, gosh, I don't know, actually. I was going to pick the Ravens to try and be, try and be different. But you have, you have to think. You have to think about this 49ers team is that they have dismantled some of the better teams. They truly, truly have. Um, they've blown out the Eagles. They've blown out the Cowboys. Uh, manhandled the Cardinals. Beat the Seahawks. I mean, those losses to the Bengals, Vikings, and Browns were all just kind of awkward. Um, blew out the Jaguars. 
gosh, I do not know what to do with this team. I don't know who to pick. I really don't. I really don't. And even fantasy wise, fantasy wise, like the implications are all, you know, it's all up in the air. I do play Lamar Jackson. The 49ers are at home. You know what? It's Christmas Day. I need Christian McCaffrey to ball out. Let's go with the 49ers, boys. I don't know. It's going to come down to come down to this game most likely. It's going to be close, but um, you know, at the end of the day, we'll see who prevails. But I'll be riding with the 49ers to close out my Christmas weekend and NFL Week 16. Man, that's going to be a good one. I am I'm pumped. I'm absolutely I'm exuberated. Is that is that the right word? Is that a bit that's a big word honestly, exuberated for that game. And with that, that wraps up our NFL Week 16 predictions. As always, taking up a lot of the time, almost as much as when we review the week. So we only have a couple more weeks of this. The playoff ones will be not as long, but um, it's been fun. It's been a fun season. We got one more segment, all right, on our quest to uh, rank as much stuff of the UFC as we can about 2023. We're also doing an end-of-the-year award show for the UFC. I don't know when I'll be dropping it. I'll be dropping it at some point. I mean, once I once I determine what episode is best to do it on, we're going to have 10 categories, including Fight of the Year, Fighter of the Year, Comeback um, comeback of the Year, like in a fight, Event of the Year, Comeback Fighter of the Year, so who had the best, uh, like, bad 2022, best, good 2023, Woman's Fighter of the Year, the shock of the year, shocking moment of the year, submission of the year, KO of the year, debut fighter of the year, and who was the champion of the year. Not maybe, actually, could be a new champion. I won't reveal anything. And we're also going to do a uh, segment on one of the future episodes about um, every champion's chance of becoming double champion. Ooh, it's going to be fun stuff. But as for this episode, we will be ranking all 21 title fights that took place in 2023. We had a lot of fun ones. We had a lot of dull ones. Let's get into it. Just as riveting as number one is, is what number 21 is on our list of our uh, title fights. Because, of course, everyone's wondering, what was the worst title fight of 2021? And that's going to be our number 21, which kicks off our list, is the Women's Bantamweight Championship belt between Amanda Nunes and Irene Aldana at UFC 289, which was the main event. Uh, we'll rank all of the pay-per-views on a later episode, and let's just say this whole event was a mess, especially this main event where basically, let me give it to you, Amanda Nunes just dominated Irene Aldana for five straight rounds. Totals from the fight, significant strikes 142 to 41, Total strikes, 196 to 57. Takedown, 6 of 13 for Amanda Nunes for 7 minutes of control time. I mean, outstruck her in round 1. Uh, outstruck her in round 2. Outstruck her in round 3. Outstruck her in round 4 and just grappled her to death in round number 5. Total uh, judge scorecards from the fight, 50-44, 50-44, and 50-43. And I actually fell asleep in round 2 of this fight, and I woke up. Uh, the next day and checked my phone and was like, oh, Amanda Nunes won a decision, which is actually funny because after round one, I was kind of like, you know what? Irene Aldana can bounce back. But no, nothing happened with this. Amanda Nunes then retired after and Irene Aldana has since gone on to have one more fight in uh, 2023, which actually went pretty well for her. A fight of the year contender, definitely woman's fight of the year. But um, yeah, worst title fight of the year was so boring. I fell asleep. I fell asleep. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? I actually find that absolutely hilarious. Absolutely 
hilarious. Checking in at number 20, our most recent title fight, the welterweight championship bout between Leon Edwards and Colby Covington. Not only was it boring, but it failed to live up to hype. You see, Amanda News versus Ariel Donna already had no hype. This fight had so much hype, you know. The press conference was fire. Colby Covington was getting on his head. Leon Edwards was coming off the back-to-back wins over Kamru Usman, and nothing transpired out of this. Just an absolute sleeper. Absolute sleeper of a fight. It was so boring, and I mean, what made it worse was Colby Covington acting like he won the fight. I mean, it is what it is. Colby got out significantly, struck 57 to 44, had more total strikes than uh, Leon, 109 to 65. Both men landed two takedowns. Leon went two of three for a minute and a half of control time. Colby went two of ten for five minutes of control time. Story of the fight, I mean, Leon casually outstrikes him round one. And wins. Round two, Leon casually outstrikes him, wins that. Round three, Colby finally lands a takedown, but Leon still wins the round. Round four, Colby finally tries putting on some more pressure, gets outstruck. And round five, grapples him into oblivion and uh, dominates the fight onto the win. So not only was it a bad final image for Leon Edwards, but Colby acted like he won just just lame. And his comments after the fight have not made anything better. Just a... Just a terrible, just a terrible, terrible fight. Let's just forget about this fight in general. So, Leon Edwards versus Kobe Covington at 20 on the list. Checking it at 19. I mean, it don't get any better here. Leon Edwards versus Kamru Usman 2. The, uh, the, oh, 3 actually. Leon Edwards versus Usman 3. I forgot. They had fought, uh, in 2015. So this was their trilogy. Both men had one win. They'd recently fought in August. And this was live in front of a London crowd. And uh, the only reason that this fight landed above Leon and Colby is because the London crowd was way more appreciative. Um, but, uh, yeah, just a snooze fest. Snooze fest in this one. I think it was at a party, and I literally turned it off because I was like, I, I just can't even I can't even watch this. There was cage grab. There was eye pokes. Just a sloppy fight. Uh, totals from the fight, 120 to 87. Significant strikes in favor of Leon. Total strikes, 123 to 113 in favor of Leon. Uh, Kamaru went 4 of 15 on takedowns for 5 minutes off control. Judges scorecards from the fight, 48-46, 48 46 and 47-47 for majority decision uh, in favor of Leon Edwards and I mean tail of the fight I mean Leon casually outstrikes him in round one wins that round uh, round two uh, Usman outstrikes him lands a takedown so Usman takes that round um, round three Leon outstrikes him uh, gets taken down once but manages to win that round uh, round four Leon wins that round and round five, I think Leon won that round. But Leon got uh, so many points taken away from him, and Usman was laying some takedowns. Tough fight to tough fight to even to even score. I mean, just just boring, just boring. That's all I can say. So Leon Edwards, you know, two title fights in 2023. They land in at a uh, 20 and 19 out of our 21 fights. That should say something about how exciting those fights were. They were not. They were pretty boring, and you know what? I wouldn't expect much with him fighting Bilal Muhammad coming up soon, most likely. But if he does fight Shavkat, that one, that one could be uh, pretty exciting. Let's keep it moving, all righty. Uh, finally, we get to the some lighter boys. At number 18, we have a bantamweight championship out between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. This one was, I mean, just like the others. Just like the others, but more competitive. That's why it lands here. It lands here because it was more competitive. Aljamain Sterling won a split decision here, 48-47, 48-47, and 47-48 over Henry Cejudo. And it lands so low because, I mean, first off, first off, for all the fights we've listed so far, 
No one won. No one. None of these were fighting the Knights. No one got a performance bonus. Nothing from these fights. And I mean, Harry Sudo hadn't fought in three years, and he returned against Salisbury and Sterling, who had been fresh defending his belt, and just gave him a run for his money. And totals from the fight: 135 significant strikes to 99 in favor of Henry, in favor of Aljamain Sterling. 186 to 143 total strikes in favor of Aljamain Sterling. Four of 15 on takedowns for Aljamain for four minutes of control time. Three of eight for Henry for five minutes. Round one, Aljamain landed two takedowns, outstruck him by just about half, landed more than half the strikes he landed. Uh, Henry Sudo also landed a takedown for uh, 10 seconds more of control time. Round two, Henry Sudo outstriking him in this round. Fight was fought on the feet. Round three, though, Aljamain comes out, outstrikes him, lands a takedown. Henry also landed a takedown. Round four, Aljamain landed some more uh, some more strikes. So it looks like Aljamain wins round two through four, and Henry Sudo run. Oh, no. So Sterling would win rounds one, three, rounds one, four, and five. I have no idea. It was a close fight, but it was a snoozer. It was a snooze fest, you know, I think I was with my girlfriend watching it at her house, and I literally just had it on my laptop and was, like, talking to her and watching a movie at the same time. Just nothing, nothing too exciting. Uh, neither man uh, has done anything since, except Elgermain got knocked out, and Henry's just asked to fight everyone, but hasn't involved in a fight. This one, it was competitive. So if you like competitive fights with controversial judging scorecards, yeah, watch this one, because a lot of people did not think Elgermain Sterling won this fight, but... That's just how it goes. Checking in at number 17, one of our more recent ones, UFC 296 Flyweight Championship bout between Alexander Pantoja and Brandon Roy Val. And it lands here at 17 just because, you know, it was competitive, but nothing exciting. I mean, Roy Val won one round on one judge's scorecard. I mean... Pantoa dominated. I mean, you're going to look at the significant strikes and total strikes and think, wow, all right, Pantoa got, um, I mean, we'll start with Royval. I mean, Royval, 111 significant strikes to 95 for Pantoa. 281 total strikes for Brandon Royval against Alexander Pantoa. A majority of those were off his back, okay, because Alexander Pantoa turned into a Dagestani grappler. 8 of 14 on takedowns for f- almost 16 minutes of control time. I'm I don't know if he even really tried to finish the fight. He wobbled Ravel a couple of times. But, you know, this was more entertaining than all the fights before this. But at the same time, it was just nothing, nothing much to do with it. Bentoa grappled in round one, grappled in round two, grappled in round three, grappled in round four, and grappled in round five. A good defense for Alexander Bentoa, but not giving us much fans anything to cheer about, you know, and I, that just annoys me. That just annoys me because I want exciting, just banger fights, and this one just did not deliver. Checking in at number 16, we do have an interim. We do, we did, I did rank the interim title fights because they are registered as title fights, even if we don't really agree. Um, interim title fight between Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett for the interim featherweight championship at UFC 284 in February. And Yair Rodriguez submitted Josh Emmett in round number two, landing a triangle choke to win the interim featherweight championship. Now, the fight itself, I mean, round one, it was just evident Josh Emmett was just trying to land a power right hand. That's all he was trying to do. Um, he guessed himself out after round one. Round two, Yair oh, found it to the ground, managed to uh, get himself on top of uh, Josh Emmett. 
Uh, actually, no, it was when Josh Emmett landed a takedown, I think it was. He threw up, um, uh, Yair threw up a triangle choke and just submitted Josh Emmett from bottom guard. Um, nothing much. I mean, Yair, impressive in this. But the reason it lands at 16 is because what would he do with his interim tail shot? He would get obliterated by Volkanovsky. So he didn't really do anything with his interim tail shot. And it felt so unnecessary. It just There's just no, no need for this to be an interim championship bout. Josh Emmett got destroyed. He did end his year well, but as for Yair, you know, didn't do much after this, but good job getting the triangle choke. Hopping into our top 15, we have uh, Brandon Moreno versus Devison Figueredo at UFC 283 for the Flyweight Championship, and this was the first ever quadrilogy in UFC history, the first ever fourth fight between two men in UFC history happening on the first pay-per-view of the year, and the reason it lands at number 15 is because it just, it was competitive, it was competitive, I'll say that, but, you know, it was stopped after round three, because Figueredo's eye had just ballooned up, he couldn't even see, and up to that point, Moreno had dominated, Moreno had won all three rounds, I mean, round one, outstruck him significantly, 17 to 5, landed two takedowns, round two, 17 to 10, each man landed a takedown, but Moreno had two minutes of control time to Figueredo's 35 seconds, round three, Moreno, 14 significant strikes to four, uh, 48 total strikes to five, three and a half minutes of control time, Moreno was just dominating, eye injury stopped the fight, kind of ruined, uh, kind of ruined this quadrilogy, and you know what, I'm not going to say the fights de-progressed, because the first and third fights of this were just so amazing, but you know what, it kind of ended on a bummer, and honestly, these two could meet again, but it lands at uh, number 15 on our list. Coming in at number 14, we have what could be biggest shock of the year, biggest upset of the year. It might as well be, and it could feature your fighter of the year on our list, that is, as it was the middleweight championship bout at UFC 293 between Israel Adesanya and Sean Strickland. And the reason it goes um, to 14 and not lower is because of the shock of Sean Strickland in this fight, just winning every single round or every round but one against Israel Adesanya. The only round Israel Adesanya won, I believe, was round number two two or three. I can't even recall, but round one, I mean, they're going back and forth, you know, Sean Strickland landed a bit more before Sean catches him with a straight, drops him, starts wailing into him. Everyone thought Asanya was about to get knocked out in round number one. He manages to survive, but you know what, after that, it was a typical Sean Strickland fight, just casually outbox someone for five straight freaking rounds. And you know what, the final few seconds were entertaining as Sean Strickland realized he was going to win, but this is just dominating dominating from Sean Strickland. First ever time Israel Asanya has been knocked down in the UFC in this fight. 137 significant strikes to 94 in favor of Sean Strickland. Same for total strikes. Neither man attempted a takedown. So pretty boring fight, but the upset of itself. Just the shock of Sean Strickland winning lands it at number 14. Getting us in to uh, our number, our next one, I should say, number 13. We have a the only... The only, I should say, women's strawweight championship bout of the year between Amanda Limos and Zhang Weili in the co-main event at UFC 292, where Zhang Weili won a absolutely dominating, dominating unanimous decision. Judges scorecards from this fight, 49 to 45, 50 to 44, and 50 to 43, as she won a performance bonus for this as well. And honestly, you know, comparing this to all the other decisions on here, it was just entertaining watching Zhang Weili just destroy Amanda Limos. I mean, totals from the fight, a knockdown for Zhang Weili. Almost dropped her a number of times, but um, significant strikes, 163 to 24. 
total at, at a 75% land rate, might I add you. Uh, 296 total strikes to 29. Six of seven odd takedowns for 16 minutes of control time. This was Zhang Weili at her finest. Round one, round one stats, just as crazy as round five. Round one, 44 significant strikes to one, 74 total strikes to two. One of one on takedowns for four and a half minutes. Zhang Weili dominated. Round two, I mean, it just gets even more dominated. 16 significant strikes to four, total strikes 49 to five. Okay, same for round two, same for round three. Round five, Zhang Weili goes out, drops her 114 total strikes to one. Okay, I have no idea how Zhang Weili did not finish this fight. She gave it her all, if I'm being honest. Zhang Weili gave it her all to try and win this fight. Um, Maiden Limos was just in survival mode, was all bloodied. Um, kudos. Kudos to um, uh, <laughs> Zhang Weili, but, uh, you know... Decent for 13. Out of all the decision fights I watched this year, this one was one of the better ones. Just watching her absolutely obliterate her opponent. Uh, excited to see what Zhang Weili brings us in the new year. And I believe Amanda Limos has a fight coming up with uh, Tatiana Suarez. I have no idea. Maybe it's just a rumor. Getting into our number 12, it was the uh, vacant light heavyweight championship bout at UFC 283, our second title fight of the year between Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. And actually won fight of the night honors, but it should have won a performance of the night as Jamal Hill destroyed Glover Teixeira. Oh my gosh, he retired Glover with this performance. Just domination. 232 significant strikes to 75 in favor of Jamal Hill. Glover went 2 of 17 on takedown attempts for only 3 minutes and 26 seconds of control time. Tale of the entire fight was just Jamal Hill outboxing. Glover Teixeira had him a bloody mess. I have no idea how he didn't finish this fight. Stuff takedown. Stuff 7 in round 1. Stuff 3 of 4 in round 2. Stuff 3 in round 3. And Glover finally was able to get a takedown in round 5. But too little, too late. Glover doesn't even win a round. Uh, judges scorecard 50-44 across all the th all the all the pages, and you know it might have wound its way up a bit higher, but Glover retired after this. Jamal Hill ended up having to vacate it again because of an injury. Um, at the end of the day, it was unnecessary. So pretty comical that nothing came of it, but. You know what? Dominate performance. I didn't actually watch this. I was at a party. So, you know what? It is what it is. Just outside the top 10 at number 11, we have the rematch. The woman's straw flyweight, correcting me. Woman's flyweight championship bout at UFC Fight Night Grasso versus Shevchenko, two better wise known as UFC Noche. That happened on September 16th. The fight between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. The rematch. It was competitive. It came down to the wire. And that's why it lands right here. You know, they, they were going back and forth. And ended in a draw. It ended in a draw. I think when it went to judge the scorecard, it was pretty up in the air. Who's going to win? No one really knew. Valentina appeared to have won more rounds. But Grasso's rounds she won were more dominating. I mean, in round two, Grasso dropped Valentina. In round five, she almost submitted her at one point. It was a dominating performance from Alexa Grasso. Um, in those two rounds. Now, rounds two to four, or rounds, I should say, one, three, and four were... Up in the air, I mean, honestly, I I think I might have had it 3-2 to two Shevchenko at the time. Uh, totals from the fight, Alexa Grasso won knockdown, 84 significant strikes to 80 in favor of her, 262 total strikes to 199 in favor of Alexa Grasso, one of two on takedowns for Grasso for 2 minutes 39 seconds to control time. Valentina, 4 of 7 on takedowns, 8 minutes and 37 seconds. So it was competitive. It did end in a draw, which kind of left people wanting more. 
But you know what? I will. I will say. I will say that um, it was entertaining. It did have me on the edge of my seat. And when fights are like that, you can't really ask for much more. So kudos to them. Uh, exciting to see what's next for Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko in the future. As we get into our top ten, our top ten title fights of the year kicks off with our number. 10 title fight of the year. It was an interim heavyweight championship bout at UFC 295, November 11th at Madison Square Garden between Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall would win a performance of the night for this event, or for this uh, performance, and the reason it lands at 10 and not higher is just because of how quick it ended. I mean, Tom Aspinall knocked out Sergey Pavlovich clean with one punch in a minute and nine seconds. I mean, you had no time to even process. You had no time to even process it. It was just over like that. All right, just over like that, like, doom, boom. That's that. That's that's it. That's all there is for you. There you go. Minute and nine seconds. Sergey Pavlovich, known for knocking people out, gets knocked out in a minute and nine seconds. And Tom Aspinall capped off a perfect 2023 for me. I mean, Tom Aspinall is probably going to win comeback fighter of the year for me. Absolutely amazing. I loved what I saw from Tom Aspinall. And I'm excited to see if he ends up fighting John Jones in the coming year as he lands at number 10. And number nine on the list just after this fight, and so it's kind of it's kind of why I put it here, is because, you know, at number uh, 10 was Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavlovich, that was the co-main event of UFC 295, and at number 9, it was the main event of UFC 295, the vacant light heavyweight championship bout between Alex Barra and Jiri Prochaska, and why does it land at number 9 on the list, not higher, not lower? It is because, um, or I should say lower, you know, because I mentioned with the IR and Josh Emmett, there's an interim title fight, you know, I wouldn't put interim title fights that high. But the reason it lands here is because Ox Barra had gotten knocked out in 2023, won a controversial split decision over Tom Belovich, I wouldn't say controversial, a close fight split decision, and then knocked out Jury Pochaska in round number two with a little TKO. I mean, it might have seemed like an early stoppage, but Para was getting the better of him. I mean, you had Jury Pochaska student for takedowns on him. Barra had dropped him, actually, in round number two. And you know what? It capped off a good year for Alex Barra. Felt good for the guy. And he's your current light heavyweight champion. And he'll probably be fighting Jamal Hill before we know it. Good stuff from Poeton over Jerry Pochaska. That did make me sad because I am a Jerry Pochaska fan. But at the same time, he's got to feel good for Alex Barra. I'll give it to you, man. Checking in at number eight was the first meeting between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko at UFC 285. It was the co-main event for the Women's Flyweight Championship where Alexa Grasso shocked the world. And it lands up here because Alexa Grasso stopped a crazy, I think it was up to like almost 10-fight winning streak of Valentina Shevchenko. And she'd been losing this fight, by the way, round four. All right, of this fight, Alexa Grasso submitted her with a rear naked choke. But the thing was is that Valentina had probably won the first three rounds and had probably been winning round four at best at worst case scenario for uh, Alexa Grasso. She had won one round or, you know, say she had only won one round up until that point, And she was losing the current round before she caught Valentina slipping, took her back, submitted her. The upset at the time was absolutely ballistic. I was going crazy at my cousin's house. I was loving it. It was absolutely nuts. Alexa Grasso, your new woman's flyweight champion with this one. And the shock factor, the just watching Valentina, just her face turned just bright red, turned blue just from the squeeze. It was nasty. A good, good, good one right there. I wouldn't say it was too memorable of a fight, but the ending is what made it very, very memorable. 
memorable, I should say. Coming in at lucky number seven was the fight that took place right after this one. I didn't even try to play that theme. That's funny how it actually turned out. Main event of UFC 285 for the vacant heavyweight championship where John Jones submitted Cyril Gaon in two minutes, earning himself a performance bonus. And, you know, a lot of people might think this could have been the number one, like, title fight of the year, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't. And I'll tell you why. It's because of just how quick it was over. How quick it was over. And obviously, Cyril Gaon redeemed himself after this, but John Jones really just marched across the cage, took him down got up a bit, slapped on a guillotine choke, and submitted him. And that was that. I mean, we we barely had any time to register. I mean, I'd compare it to the Tom Aswell sergey Pavlovich fight, where it, it was over so quick, you just didn't have any time to process it. You're like, um, that's that? Like, the, like there's nothing after this? There's nothing to do with this? I I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know what to tell you. That's just that's just how it went. That's just how, how it ended up happening. I'm sorry, but... You know, it lands here, but John Jones, impressive stuff. You know, hopefully we can see him back in the octagon next year. Real, really needs to, really needs to get back in the octagon. If I'm being honest, um, but, uh, you know, it's 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 a tough business. It's a tough business when you get injured all the time. But Sergey bounced back. Good for that. That lands at number seven. Coming in at number six on our list. This can get a little controversial, but I have the UFC 290 main event between Alexander Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez. Alexander Volkanovsky would get a round three TKO in this win. Now, before anyone comes at me, before anyone comes at me and says, what do you mean this should have been the number one title fight of the year? And the only reason it lands here is because it was clear from the opening round that Volkanovski is going to win this. Okay, it was clear Volkanovski is going to win this. And he destroyed Yair in round one. He destroyed him in round two. And Yair landed one big land in round number three before Volkanovski would take over and absolutely destroy him. It's, it's just how it worked out. It's what happened. I mean, dominating performance from Volkanovski, but... You know what? I'm sorry, Yair. You know, you won the interim belt. You came in, and this would land a bit higher if it had been more competitive. But it was just so, so one-sided. There's just, there's, I, I, it landed here for me. It landed here for me on my list, but it's not taking any credit away from this guys. And number six out of twenty-one, that's pretty freaking good. That's pretty freaking good, if you ask me. And. You know what, Volk might have not ended the year too hot, but he certainly was on fire in this one. So with that, that leads us into our top five, and it's kind of it's kind of fitting that yeah, everything just kind of feeds onto each other. As at number five, we have Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. Two, the rematch between these two um, two title fights in the year between Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. The second one, just as much hype. Volk took it on short notice. Um, super entertaining, but the, the, the issue arises where um, Volk got destroyed. Volk got destroyed. I mean, totals from the fight, uh, 24 significant strikes to four, a three-minute knockout, head king knockout of Islam Makachev against Alexander Volkanovsky. And I remember watching this with all my friends, one of my friends' dad, and I mean, it was just kind of just like, oh, oh my gosh, folks down. Laying on me, you're just kind of like, that's it, that's it, that's it. And yep, they called the fight. But it was just, it was too impressive of a performance by Islam to not put it up here at number five. And the hype for it after the original fight was just so good. So that's why it lands up here at number five. 
Checking in at number four, just about done with our list, was the UFC 292 Bantamweight Championship main event between Sean O'Malley and Aljamain Sterling, where Sean O'Malley would get a round two knockout of Aljamain Sterling. I mean, just so impressive. So impressive, Sean O'Malley actually getting it done. And the reason it lands at number four is because this was finally, like, I compared it to McGregor versus Aldo. Where it's like, here's this rising prospect. Like, if Pay Pimlet ever gets a tell shot, it'd be like that. It's like, okay, let's put this guy into this spot and see if he can do it. Will Sean O'Malley actually perform to the levels we think he can perform to? And you know what? Round one, super close. I mean, the biggest moment was Osmond Sterling shooting for a takedown, all right? Not getting it, but shooting for it. And then round two, you know, it's going on, it's going on. And Aljamain Sterling comes in, Sean O'Malley lands a huge punch, drops him, lays on him, lays on him, bunch of ground and pound, bunch of ground and pound, not actually laying on him, but I mean just punching on him from the feet. And ref stopped it, that was that, gets a performance bonus, gets the bantamweight championship. I mean, you can just not cap it off any better than that. Sean O'Malley was legit. And it was crazy watching Osmond Sterling after his wars against, not I wouldn't say wars, but his tests against Henry Cejudo, Piotr Jan, TJ Dillashaw was not a test, but you know. Um, and just to see him just crumble like that from Sean O'Malley's right hand, it was very impressive. Sean O'Malley's got a huge, huge bantamweight title fight with uh, Marlon Vera in March, so that's pretty exciting stuff. And you know what? Landing at number four on the list is not too shabby either. Number three of our title fights for the year, and I mean this is this goes off of maybe just performance for the title fight or whatever, just the actual fight itself. You know, my lists have been fluctuating. They've been somewhat fluctuating, but as for this number third moment, uh, this title fight, uh, number three, UFC 287 main event middleweight championship bout between Israel Adesanya and Alex Pajera. The rematch, which was in reality their fourth fight in a professional setting. Uh, uh, Israel Asanya went 0-2 against Alex Pereira in kickboxing and had previously lost to him in November where they would rematch for one final time and. You know what? Round one, very competitive. Alex Pereira outstriking him. You know, it was going back and forth. And we get into round two. Israel Asagi is starting to pick up the pace a bit. Then right around the four-minute mark, Adesanya is back on the cage. And similar to the first fight, Adesanya, what waits for Alex Pereira's chin to be exposed, clicks him with a big right, wobbles him, hits him with another one, goes down, lands a big follow-up punch, and that was that Israel Adesanya had knocked out Oxpera and finally got his revenge, shooting the three arrows at him while he's unconscious. I mean, oh my gosh, it was just, you just can't write it any better. It was just so good. Such a such a good feel-good moment for Israel Adesanya. Even if he was an odd guy and he didn't end 2023 too well, he still kicked off the year in April pretty good for himself. And as for Alex Barra, he turned his entire year around, winning the light heavyweight championship. So it's crazy. Looking back in January and looking back in December at just the ways fighters went, it's crazy to think that Israel Asanya is currently not even having a fight book, not wanting to fight for like two more years, three more years even. You get Alex Barra, who's a champion in a different division. But this moment was absolutely crazy. And I remember it because my girlfriend, she was like all like cuddled up on me and stuff. She wasn't even looking at the screen. And I'm watching it. And I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he clips him with the right, drops him again. And I literally like threw her off me and she was all mad at me. But I was just running around the room going, oh my gosh, that's the greatest knockout I've ever seen. Such a good moment. Absolutely loved it. It lands at number three. And with, that leads us. 
into two more title fights for 2023. And honestly, if I'm being honest, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy with them both. Um, I do have reasoning for both of them. And honestly, number two could win fight of the year. But, um, you know, we'll see uh, We'll see how our uh, our awards shows go. But as for a lot of people, this is their fight of the year, but it lands at number two for me, the flyweight championship bout between Brandon Moreno and Alexander Pantoa. Their third time, I think it was, ever meeting. They had fought on the Ultimate Fighter. They had fought previously when they were young in the UFC, but this was Brandon Moreno's first title defense uh, after winning against Devison Figueredo. And man, this was an absolute war. I remember watching this with my cousin, uh, Ryan, Parker, Kevin, this was in July. I mean, this was, it was just such a war. It was so crazy. They were both bloody. They were both beaten. And uh, Alexander Pantoja would win a split decision. Totals from the fight, 49-46 in favor of Brandon Moreno, 48-47, 48-47 in favor of Alexander Pantoja. Totals from the fight, one knockdown for Alexander Pantoa, 147 significant strikes to 129 in favor of Brandon Moreno, 167 total strikes to 161 in favor of Brandon Moreno, 2 of 4 on takedowns from Reno for 4 minutes of control time. And uh, 6 of 11 on takedowns for Alexander Pantoa for 8.5 minutes of control time. But 3 of those were reversed by Brandon Moreno. Just absolutely crazy. I mean, round 1, Pantoa dropped Moreno. And you're like, oh my gosh, is he going to finish him? Round 2, Moreno comes back out fighting. Round 3, Moreno comes back out fighting. Pantoa starts finding his way in the grappling realm in round 4. And these two go swigging till the final bell. I mean, this was just pure entertainment. It was only the co-made event. And I mean, UFC 290 is up there for what could be the best card of the year. I'm debating which one to put as my best card of the year. I might work on that tonight. We'll see. But I mean, oh my goodness. Alexander Pantoja and Brandon Moreno giving us a show. Ends at number two on my title fights for the year. And it's potentially, if Brandon Moreno beats Amir Albazi, he could get another title shot. It's crazy how these guys can work their way back to getting title shots. It's, it's honestly impressive. It's honestly impressive how they are able to do it. Man, shout out to these boys. Good freaking stuff. And that leads us to my number one title fight of 2023. Alrighty, and I'm just doing this from when I watched it, the shock value of it, the actual fight itself, how competitive it was, and it was Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volsky won the main event of UFC 284 for the UFC Lightweight Championship, and oh man, this was as competitive as it gets. I mean, this was just, out of all the fights of the year, this was the most competitive in my in my opinion, Okay. Let's talk about it. Makachev obviously wins a unanimous decision. 49-46, 48-47, 48-47. Totals from the fight. I mean, Volkanovski landed a knockdown in the final round. 70 significant strikes to 57 in favor of Volk. Total strikes, 164-95 in favor of Volk. Volk goes 0 for 4 on takedowns, but gets almost 3 minutes of control time. Makachev goes 4 of 9 on takedowns for 7.5 minutes of control time. In round 1... I mean, Makachev landing a takedown, winning round one, but then round two, you know, he landed a takedown, but Volkanovski was winning on the feet. Round three, Makachev, same kind of scenario, lands a takedown, but Volk's able to kind of get back up, fending him off, striking him up, piecing him up very well. And then round four, I mean, this was a weird one, Makachev dominated. All right, three and a half minutes control time on the ground. Volk was throwing a lot of strikes trying to hit him. 
And then round five, the most clear round of the fight for Volkanovski as he drops Makachev in the final minute. I mean, starts wailing on him. I mean, there's a there's a clip of it where Makachev's face is like kind of beaten. He's looking at the he's looking at his corner like, what did I get myself into? Volkanovski almost finishing the fight. But it was too little, too late. As the judges read the scorecard, and you realize Makachev retained, his teammates were holding him up, holding him up, and you were just like, wow, wow, what a war. I mean, this was so competitive at the time. I mean, it was fight of the year. I don't know if it's going to win fight of the year, but title fight-wise, I mean, just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Shout out to... uh both of these guys, and they rematched later, and we obviously saw how it went. But at the time, this first meeting was just so amazing, so entertaining, and I loved watching it. Such a good time with these two, and that is my number one title fight of the year. It was Makachev's first title defense. It was Volk going up and waiting, proving he can hang, and it showed us a lot about both of these guys. So good stuff all around from those two. And those are all the title fights of 2023 in the UFC ranked, all 21 of them. We had some bad, some good, and some in-between. A lot of memorable moments. We had, what was it? Let me actually go through and check. We had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, eight, nine, ten. Ten of the 21 fights were finishes. Wow, so not even 50% were finishes, just below 50%. I mean, you know, not much to say about that. Not much to really say about that. I mean, I guess it's competitive, you know, when they're going the distance a lot, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Good times, though, ranking all that. We got a lot more fun stuff to rank in the future. It's always fun. We're going back. Reviewing the year. Seeing all this stuff that happened. I always find great joy in it. But that's all I got, folks. That's all I got on this episode of the Surprise Jet Podcast, episode 51. All right, good times, guys. Next time I check in with you, all right, we will have a special guest. We will be in a different state. All right, fun stuff. We're going to try and level this up in uh, 2024 for season two, as I'm going to call it. Maybe try and start filming my stuff. Try and start working on uh, creating some timestamps for parts of the videos. We'll see. But as for now, guys, I'll sign off from you. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, and I'll catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast. Thank you.